What's going on, everyone? We're back with episode five now of the Sports Inventory with your hosts, Ben Kuchipudi and your mama's favorite boyfriend, Tyler T. Grizzly Graham. All right, so a lot once again, even though it's summer, a lot's happening in the world of sports. And we're going to start with the Yankees, first team to get to 60 wins in the MLB. How are you feeling about um, the Yankees? I know your favorite team, mine too. How are we feeling about them? The Bronx Bombers are back, baby. They look in good form. They batting well. They fielding well. Um, the question only remains is the guys coming up from injury. Can they come back and do damage like they've done before? And can they keep the heat up? That's the thing we got to see with the Yankees. Because we know in the past few years, the Yankees, they've start, they've had some very solid regular seasons. But... Can they put it together in the playoffs where they all where it really matters? We unfortunately we didn't see that last year against Boston, but this Yankees team just looks different. They are electric right now. They're on pace to actually um, beat the Seattle Mariners regular season one record of one sixteen, and they're sitting at sixty and twenty three. So if all these guys come back from injury strong and everyone just keeps playing the way they're playing, I think they can definitely beat that record. Yeah, that's the thing. But the thing Ben here is. Baseball is the longest season in all sports. 162 games. And the thing about that is I can have a stretch of 40 games where I'm dominant, a stretch of 50, 60, 70 games. What game marker are we at now? We are at 83. 83. A little more than halfway Things through. can change in a day. We can go on droughts. Um, a lot of teams are notorious for falling apart after all-star break. The Mets, one of them too. We've seen many seasons like this before where mm-hmm. they start strong and then after all-star break they kind of plateau and then they push into the playoffs. And where do they go, Ben? Nowhere. Yep. Nowhere. And the interesting bit about that uh, Mariners team that won all those things, did they win a World Series that year? No, they only lost the divisional on who they lose to. None of the Jared Yankees. Jeter and the New York Yankees. That's the thing. You can have this stellar regular season. This goes for any sports. You can have a stellar regular season in the NBA, the MLB, the NFL. But the playoffs, the lights are a little bit a brighter. A whole different animal. The colors are a little bit vibrant on the jerseys. It's a little darker in the sky, too. You got those night games. Yeah, and the fans are a little bit louder. So that's the thing. Um, I trust my Yankees. Aaron Judge looks like an absolute demigod out there. I, I, if you put Poseidon on the field, I the resemblance would be uncanny. It's just literal god out there hitting and fielding. Um, he's currently my favorite to win the MVP. I think right now he's probably the, the front runner for sure. I mean, for but sure. as we know, the MVP is a regular season long award. It's not just a half season award. Exactly. So players players start the season off strong, but then they fall off a little bit after the All Star break. But we gotta see what um, how Aaron Judge keeps going. I think what is he leading the league in uh, home runs right now? I believe so. Uh, I he might be pushing towards triple crown. Honestly, let me see. Here, but Aaron Judge is an absolute menace at the plate. And if I'm any pitcher in the professional league, um, dog, I don't even know what I do. He's just a nasty, nasty figure. Yeah, it's just an animal, bro. I just how do you how do you how are you that good? Like I don't even know. These guys. It's the reason why the Yankees have the best point differential in the league, plus 176. Yeah, that I is know. wild. I don't know. It just it. I, I think you got to figure it out, um, bro. It, I'm I'm just so proud of him because I just really wanted him to take that stellar leap. Because when he first came to New York, um, we fell in love with him. The same love that Jeter received when he first came and was called up. We had a little press box for him called the Judge Box, and they would have wigs and gowns. 
And he would never take that leap to be that guy we want him to be wearing number 99 in pinstripes. But this season's showing that he could be that guy now. Now, the thing about him is contracts are coming up. Um, other teams are going to eye him down. And the Yankees are going to come to the point where they're going to buckle under their upkeep when it comes to money, too. Now, mind you, we have the biggest payroll in all of baseball. Oh, the of Dodgers, course, of course. But it's a matter of keeping that stellar athlete. That's really hard to do in all sports nowadays. Don't you agree, Ben? Oh, yeah. Any sport. Yeah, that, it's super, super difficult. But. Yeah, no loyalty to the game anymore. It's where the, where the money goes, the player goes. Only a handful of players don't really have that mentality. Yeah. But got to see if Judge has that mentality. Obviously, all Yankees fans, including both of us, would love Aaron Judge to stay a Yankee for life. No, obviously. Aaron Judge does lead the league in home runs and runs scored. Um, other than that, um, a lot of players have a lot of other things. Uh, Aris from Minnesota is bleeding in batting average. Slugging percentage is Alvarez from Houston. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's looking good for Aaron Judge. He's definitely a big, big-time hitter. And that was the fear for my Yankee squad last year was we didn't have enough small ball. And I think with this year's roster, with the addition of Carpenter and other places like that, um, we have that small ball. So when we load those bases, then you have Aaron Judge, John Carlo, those guys coming up, even Donaldson sometimes, just slapping stick and saying. Speaking of Donaldson, um, he won the game for the Yankees against the Sox last night. Yeah, yeah, just an absolute hero. He could eat in the Bronx for free for the rest of his tenure in New York, for sure, for sure. Free hot dogs on him, free burgers on him, be not. But I really want this form to stay because when the Yankees are good, life is good. You have the probably, I don't think there's a debate. They're the most decorated team in all of sports. I think it's no, yeah, no debate. 27 rings, um, one of the most um, valued franchises ever, only behind the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Or and, even the Celtics or Lakers, too. Well, yeah. With amount of rings and things like that. Yeah. And just. The players that played for them, just the city of New York. Honestly, if I'm thinking of New York, I'm thinking the first sports team I'm thinking of is the Yankees. Without a doubt. I'm sorry, Mets fans out there, but it's not the same. It, yeah, isn't, just, it isn't the same. It's not. There's a difference, there's a difference between uh, Queens and uh, Manhattan. That's just oh, all we have to say. Yes, sir. There's a difference between the Bronx, baby, and anything else. But I wish you guys luck, Yankees fans all over, because we all go through the same phases. We look good. We come to the postseason. We get rocked. Yeah, obviously, Yankees fans remember a guy named Randy Rosarena. We didn't know he was a no name before, but when he came to the you know against the Yankees, he became a Yankee killer, and he sent all of us crying in our pinstripes. You know, our navy turned a little darker because the tears in our jerseys. So that's the thing. Um, so hopefully, we have a nice little push to the postseason. I hope management kind of keeps everything together. I hope there's no chemistry issues that, as far as we're concerned, because when I look at these boys play baseball, they look happy. And that's a big thing with sports. If you don't look happy, you're never going to play the game you want to play it. Yeah. I mean, myself as the Yankees fan, too, I would love to see the boys hold up the World Series trophy again. What was when was the last time they won a World Series? It's been, they have, this is their first decade they can without winning it in the 2010s, right? Yeah. Uh, either 08 or 09. I, you know, it's been a long day, Ben. It's been a little too long. Um, but moving on into the world of the NFL, a certain, uh, certain guy in the trade block just got moved after months of, uh, just, um, bad treatment by the management and ownership. And that's, uh, 
Baker Mayfield. How do we feel about him going to Carolina? First and foremost, I think the Browns organization is an absolute disgrace of a franchise. Um, we can dive deep into the Deshaun Watson Chronicles uh, later, but I do know one thing. Um, from the reports that I received and looked over, they treated Baker Mayfield somewhat like a child, and the NFL is in a daycare. Um, you drafted him with your number overall pick back in, what, 20... 2018. 2018. Ironically enough, he's now uh, sharing a quarterback room with a third overall pick from that year, Sam Darnold. Which, who is, I think, is hot garbage, but we could get to that later. <laughs> but the thing about Baker and the Browns before their departure, it looked like a kindergarten breakup. You stole my crayons, and I'm going to yell at you now. Uh, it just seems so inappropriate. Um, they addressed him as a child. Um, obviously, I don't know what goes on behind the closed Cleveland doors, but... I do know one thing, it, it, it's just so, so, such a mess. And I really hope that week one verse, when they verse Carolina and Browns, I hope, I Baker, hope they kick their I hope thing. Baker throws for 450, four tutties, no interceptions, and a perfect passer rating. I really hope so. Because I I, I really liked Baker in Cleveland. I liked the, his demeanor. Baker in college, honestly, as a Jets fan back in 2018, I was hoping Darnold went first overall and we secured Baker. Because I feel like his attitude just... I feel like we just pump up New York fans. Like he just has that badass, that swagger that you want to see in a quarterback. Yeah. And we saw a lot of that in his rookie year in Cleveland. He had a spectacular season. It took a Browns team that went one in thirty-one to two seasons prior to almost a five hundred record. And it's just it's just terrible that he. It's just terrible how it worked out because Baker this past season he played through a torn labrum, and that's difficult. He gave his all. Yeah. Baker is a fighter. He is a warrior on the on and off the field. Uh, he's a great family man. Um, funny enough, I saw a post. I don't know the validity behind it, but while the same time Deshaun Watson was dealing with his court casings, he was running charity events in Cleveland, and Cleveland picked the guy who's stuck in court. Um, I loved Baker. I loved him in college. I loved him in the NFL. I loved the energy he brought to to the field and to the franchise because Cleveland was dying, and he was the spark that they needed and. There was moments and glimpses where they had great things, but I don't know Baker personally. I never played with him or anything. I can't claim to know him like that, but I do know one thing, that I enjoyed his play. Um, I think he's a great quarterback. I think he's nice and mobile. I think he's pretty accurate with the ball. Uh, power we can always work on later in your career, of course. And um, I think he's unanimously the starting gig at Carolina. I think they're falling apart be. with Sam, especially the Bobby Anderson saga when you know him and how will butt heads and realize that Sam Darnold's just not your guy. He lacks ball security. He doesn't make good decisions. Sure, he got a good spiral, but when it's going to the cornerback instead of the wide receiver, you got to move that. past him. Exactly. So I really like Baker in blue and black. Um, I think he'll be great with that system over there. They have a nice couple of weapons over there to develop. Yeah, they got a, um, they got a very solid offense. I'm exactly, not exactly. And I hope Baker finds a home there because I do enjoy Baker, and um, I hope the Cleveland Browns lose for the next forty years because they just make terrible decisions. Yeah, they literally Baker was their best quarterback to ever come out of Cleveland ever since they came back to the league back in 1999. Just threw him away like that. Led them to their first playoff win and. Only God knows how long, and almost made it to the conference championship that year. A few bad calls sway that away, but that's a story for another day. But in Carolina, I really think he has a chance to succeed. But again, this is kind of similar—not really that similar, but same narrative that we have with Sam Darnold a little bit. Good weapons, better system, 
Now, I think Baker is a lot better of a quarterback than Sam Darnold. We've seen that this past year. But um, it's really crazy just how much the Panthers have have spent at the quarterback position since Cam Newton got hurt. They spent a plethora of picks on, um, I think it was, I think the overall haul was they spent a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth on a quarterback room of Baker, Sam Darnold, and Matt Corral. The thing about the quarterback position ever since the departure of Cam Newton is if I have arguably the guy in the NFL for a while, regardless of injuries, and he becomes such a detrimental place in my franchise, and then obviously I have to let him go, especially at the quarterback position, it's so hard to fill that gap. Because let's say Ben, let's say Ben, you're a routine pocket passer who loves to dish the ball to a check down running back or whatever it not be, right? If that's my play for four years, five years, whomever, the game plans, the plays, the coaching, just the general way you practice is oriented around that play, correct? Yep. Cam Newton was a running around guy, scrambling, throwing crazy running gun passes, enjoyable football, right? When you move past a guy like that, obviously you're in the NFL and you should be able to transition nicely, but it's hard to fill that void, especially the MVP caliber Cam Newton we saw. So the thing about that is we spent so much on Cam Newton, it was hard to replace him, you know? Yeah, it's a certain style of quarterback that we've like really never seen before with uh, Cam Newton. His MVP season was one of the best I've ever seen. And when you have a new coaching staff, obviously Ron Rivera was gone when Cam Newton was gone. Now you have uh, Matt Rule, who is probably the favorite to be the first coach to get fired this season. And you just... um, You just... um, You've just... um. You fired what's his face? You fired um, Joe Brady as your OC. I think you brought in Ben McAdoo to replace to replace him. Yeah. And Baker, I don't really Baker and Donald a little similar. I think Baker is obviously a lot better. Decision making is a little better in my opinion. And I think he's a higher ceiling than Donald. But now with Baker, we had the we um argued in Cleveland that he had um. A good amount of weapons back in 2019 and 2020. He had a very solid line. He had a nice run game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. He had a solid weapons with Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. But now in Carolina, he has hopefully um, a healthy Christian McCaffrey. He has a very underrated receiver in DJ Moore, who hasn't been able to play with a normal quarterback for his whole career. And maybe Baker could change that. He got Robbie Anderson, who was just a thousand yard receiver last year. And they also got a very underrated second round pick from last year and Therese Marshall. Yeah. You gotta develop the tight end position a little bit, but that can be fixed. And they have a solid old, decent old line now. You just drafted um Iki Aquano to be your tackle of the future at a pick six this past year. So I think if they could put all the pieces together, I think um Baker could flourish. I think he can have a bounce back season. Maybe not playoffs, but I'm hoping he can flourish in uh, Carolina. Well, full honesty, I think he's going to flourish. I think the situation's perfect for him, getting out of a toxic relationship with a crazy ex-girlfriend, now with a very safe wife, you feel me? So I think he's going to do just A-OK in Carolina. Um, the head coach is definitely going to get shafted. He's going to leave, but I think they're going to find a better and bigger replacement. Um, all the weapons are there for Baker. Um, the situation's a little less stressed because Carolina is naturally a smaller market, and there's not much as pressure for him to just thrive and develop. Um, I think Sam Darnold's going to go to the waste bin. I think he's going to become a backup on some team. He should. Like, at this point, like, dog, you've had four years of starting, and two of the last two of those seasons, you've thrown more picks than Tuddy's. Like, come on. You, you can't. 
no excuses. Even though you're getting paid $19 million this year, he should be relegated to backup. There's no way this man could start next year. Yeah. And um, I'm still confused on the Matt Coral pick because even if you have Sam Darnold, who obviously is not the greatest of quarterbacks, um, you still have a guy there. And now that you acquired Baker, I wonder how Matt feels here. Because I feel like if it was just Sam Darnold between me and starting, um, that's a pretty good shot, you know? Like, I feel pretty confident that if I was Matt Coral, I could start over to Sam Darnold around week four, five, six. But now that Baker's involved, I don't know how Matt feels. Because Baker is a way more polished quarterback than Sam. His decision-making will improve. Everything will improve. He's just more versatile of a weapon. So I wonder what Matt feels in this. I think they should package Sam somewhere else. The, thing is, with, the thing is, if you trade Sam, you honestly... <laughs> The sad thing is you got to package Sam and probably a fifth just to get a seventh just because of his contract. Yeah. That's just how bad the situation is with him. Yeah, but I'd rather offload that sooner than later. I agree with you, honestly. Yeah. And back when I, when I was watching the draft um, and Matt Craw got picked, I was like, okay, this is this is a pretty solid pick. You know, maybe Sam starts for a little bit and um, you let Craw have the reins and maybe he runs away with it. But... They're after like right after the draft, you, you still see you saw the reports that they were gonna go after Baker and Jimmy G, and now you have Baker, and now you have three um three young quarterbacks in the same room who could all I guess could who could very well I guess take each other's job, but I don't know. I feel kind of bad for Matt Craw. I, I liked him coming out of Old Miss, and now now we gotta see if he gets a chance um in Carolina. Maybe someone gets injured. Obviously, no one hoping for that. But I would still love to see Matt Corral um, start a quarterback in the NFL. I honestly think that his demeanor and his work ethic is going to super, you know, supersede him. And I think at least he's going to get second string. Um, whether they trade Sam, cut him, buy him out, do something with him, he is not making it past the second string. But I think Baker's starting. Matt Corral's going to be right behind him. Matt Corral's going to get a lot of snaps, obviously, in preseason because you have nothing better to do. And I think Sam is out the door. Yeah, this Sam's got to get the boot. He had the one-year experiment in Carolina. Obviously, that didn't work. Sorry, the Jets won the trade. Jets did win the trade, which is the first time you hear that in a, in, a in the last few in the last few years. They've won. They've won some of the trades. Yeah, yeah. You got Jamal Adams. You got uh, the trade up for Elijah Vera Tucker. They've done pretty solid in trades, I'd say. But good luck, Baker. We're all fans of you. Yeah, Baker. We love you. We love your Home Depot commercials. We love the Hulu ones. Hulu loves live sports. Where he's yes, like, sir. Yes. And more than more than anything, we love your dancing skills. Of Keep course. Keep it up, buddy. Keep baking, Baker. Keep baking. And even though the NBA Finals are done, we still have some basketball. The NBA Summer League is now upon us. And from what I've seen, the top three picks have really impressed. Um, Chet, Paolo, and Jabari Smith. Of course. They've, I, they've all been great. Chet. I'm still not a super high on Chet. Um, I think... I think he's great. I think he's lengthy. Um, but it's just that frame is questionable. You saw it against the Memphis Grizzlies. Kenny Lofton, who is barely making 6'5", with you know, hyper dunks on, was beating that kid up. Now, granted... Um, Kenny I, Lofton is a big boy, though. Yeah. I, I, I watched somewhere, some analysts said how, sure, you're going to run into the Kenny Loftons, the Joel Embiid's, the Giannis's, those big guys. But those guys are the minority of basketball, you know? So you're not going to run into those guys every single night. So the nights that you run into just guys more of your frame or whatever, he's going to flourish. And I do agree with that. But I think that is an issue. I think he does have to put on something. Because if you weigh 160 with wet clothes on and a cross in your pocket, 
how long are you going to last in this league when you're getting you know shoulder checked low post by guys like Joel Embiid who's built like a brick house? Yeah, I mean you got trained for that, but at some point, Chet's got to get on that that bulking diet because he is going to get absolutely destroyed in the NBA if he doesn't keep if he doesn't um, get his body weight up. Because no disrespect to Kenneth to uh, Mr. Kenny Lofton, but you were in the su- he's you're a summer league player and Chet's getting bodied by these guys who have never stepped foot on NBA court just like him. What if he goes against guys like Nicole Jokic and Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis? How is he going to fare against them? Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. And, you know, those guys are obviously in the minority of basketball, but those are the winning teams. Winning teams have size, you know. And we said the same thing about KD for many years, but the thing about KD and Chet Holmgren is KD plays a position where he doesn't need that weight per se. But when you play the five, where are you located you on the court? You gotta be big. You just can't be tall. Yeah, yeah. You're located in the center. You're protecting the paint. You're gonna get. You're the ones that are gonna be jumping at, trying to draw fouls from. And you gotta keep. You gotta um, go straight up, and you can't um, just get bodied and fall to the floor because you're gonna get. You're gonna get called for a foul. And you're, it's going to be tough to play defense against the bigger guys, as we just mentioned. Yeah, and also something I noticed that him and Gonzaga was he can get into foul trouble. Um, he really goes for those blocks sometimes, but sometimes he gets carried away, you know? And he's going to be a double-double machine, no doubt about it. But uh, I worry about his hands because every rookie's hands are always a little handsy and you get to foul trouble. But he's also a guy who he, he doesn't really play super well in the paint. He's going to get his blocks. You, you know, his debut, he had, what, six blocks, the summer league record, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to happen on a daily basis because... Teams just make smarter decisions in the NBA when it comes to layups, shots, and you know other things around the rim. So I believe in Chet, but there's a couple of things that he definitely has to improve on. Yeah, a lot of things he has to improve on. The obviously the fouls and getting your weight up. But right now, I mean, his offensive repertoire looks very solid. We saw saw a replay numerous times on social media of him shooting um, that one-legged signature fadeaway that put Dirk right next to it. Granted. Doesn't have that same Dirk swagger and that day, that same uh, Dirk Nobody shot Nobody would form. do it like Dirk Lettuce, baby. But um, we could see what he does on offense. I mean, he's a, a three-level scorer. He could shoot the midi, get in the paint, and shoot some threes. I think they're playing him with the wrong position at the five. Yeah, I think he's more of... I think he's more of a four, honestly. Even yeah. even a small three, you can consider. I mean, honestly, a wing, just a wing. I think that's the thing at the five. I don't want to compare it to DeAndre Ayton situation, but I think it's just like when you put a player who plays like a different position in another position, those skills that he's good at won't flourish. And in the modern NBA, like I mentioned before, when we were talking about the Rudy Gobert trade, was at the four position in the NBA right now, the trend is smaller, shiftier, shooting heavy fours. Yeah, the NBA right now is run and gun. You exactly. got to be able to move. So I think uh, Holmgren should move over to the four. And honestly, I think they should give Roby playing time at the five. Roby got cut. Oh, he did get cut? I think he got signed by the Spurs. Good pickup by the Spurs, but he was a true five. I like Roby. Roby was he was six. He was shorter at six eight, but the guy could run the floor. Yeah, but I think Holmgren is at the wrong position. I think he should go to the four um, because he can get the shot selection he wants. 
Um, who's the coach over at OKC right now? Um, what's his name? Uh, Mark Dagonal. He's a uh, second year as a coach right now. Yeah, so I think he should run up some plays for the four to get him some shots or some cuts. Run, run a bunch of pick and pops for him, honestly. Yeah, I think you should showcase Chet's offensive abilities more because I think putting him at the five will limit that. And even if he wants to select those shots at the five, it'll be a harm on the offensive end because if your five is dribbling in and out, shooting these crazy things... One through four is not going to flourish well. Nope. You got to have a guy in the middle. That's just how the NBA, how the sound offense works. You can't have like a five, you can't run a five out. Yeah. So I think they should be playing at the four. He'd be crazy tall at the four. He's also mobile for the four as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, I think there should be a position change to aid his offensive endeavors because putting him at the five limits him. Yeah, and right now with OKC, the the problem with them is they don't really have a center like a true center on that roster. Because Chet is obviously freakishly tall, but he's also freakishly skinny. And we talked about he should play the four, even the wing. But Isaiah Roby, I think, was the only, I guess, true center on that team. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, they got a lot of not a lot of skinny guys on that team. It's going to be a lot of guys who can run the floor, but not a lot of guys who can hold their own down low. An exam- another example is uh, Alex Pokazevsky. The second half of the Twin Towers. Or the Thin Towers. The Thin Towers. My mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, another standout from the Summer League. He actually played yesterday. Paolo Bancaro, the number one overall pick. 17 points in his Summer League debut. Ousted Jabari Smith, who was projected to be over him in the draft. Yeah. I think the Magic got a good one. Pa- Poppy Paolo, baby. I... I loved him being a Duke fan. I saw him as the most polished player in the draft. I think he had most to bring to any team whom selected him. Um, if you watch that game, he was doing a lot of shooting, though, um, which is not a bad thing at all. If you're a, a four, or they might play him at the five sometimes, if you could stretch the floor and shoot that thing. That's always a plus. That's always a plus, especially in the modern NBA. And he's just a great finisher. His defense does have to improve. He's a little handsy. Sometimes he can get beat laterally by those wing guys like we mentioned before. But he's a phenomenal athlete. And I think Orlando did land a great pick here. Yeah, definitely definitely the safest pick in the draft out of those uh, out of the top three picks. And as, as we mentioned before in a previous podcast, Orlando has a great history of uh, big men, especially with the number one one pick. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal and uh, Dwight Howard both... Hall of Fame players. Paolo's got some big shoes to fill, and I think I think he has that potential. He is a damn good player. That's all I have to say about him. He's he's awesome. He is incredibly awesome, and I hope Orlando treats him well. Um, as of late, uh, in a lot of teams, it's very hard to get picked in the lottery because those teams are scrambling to do so much. You never really make those players feel at home, um, and it's also very hard to continue playing at a high level when you're on a crappy team. You know, if I got drafted to Sacramento, thank you, Sacramento. But it's hard to play there, you know. So that's the thing. I hope Orlando figures it out. Uh, excuse me. Orlando has a lot of studs, though. You still have people like R.J. Hampton, right? You know, A lot of young talent. Cole so Anthony. many guys under the name of 25. Now, here's the thing about the Orlando Magic, though. You have all these lottery picks. You have all these guys in the top 10 who got drafted, and they're not panning out the way you want them. If I'm Orlando, I have to trade some of this young talent to acquire some veterans to coach up the rest of the team. You know, I've I always th- I think Orlando I think Orlando's on the right path here because I think right now they're going to probably I think they're going to have a top 5 pick this coming um in the summer of 2023. But I think say if they inch towards 35 wins 
in the next season or two. I think they have a lot, as you said, they have a lot of young talent that can package them. Players are bound to become disgruntled. It happens every year in the NBA. And if some, and if the Magic can offer up a number of young players and picks for said player, that can make them a playoff team. And yeah, there's a, there's, I think, I think they have ten guys who are under the age of twenty five right now, maybe even more. So you can very well put a package of young players and picks for a star player. Because at the end of the day, regardless of how you're showing up to work, um, Orlando's a place where if I'm a young player, I can at least showcase some of my talents because Orlando is somewhat of a chicken without a head. So, you know, they'll kind of throw anything out on the court on yeah. a daily basis. Their starting lineup will change every night. There's yeah, no- it's going to be it's gonna be fluctuating. Guys are going to be coming up from the G League. Guys are going to get hurt. There's going to be young guys coming in from the starting, coming in from the bench trying to prove themselves. And with Orlando over the past um, few years, they were able to um, showcase a lot of these young players. You got to see a lot out of Cole Anthony and Wendell Carter, a little bit of Mo Bamba, who I don't, I, who I think, uh, I think he signed with the Lakers. Maybe I'm mistaken, but I don't think he's he's either on the Lakers or he's um, not on the Magic anymore. I know he's not gonna, he's not there anymore. Let's fact check it, Ben, just for you. Yeah, and they, but they also have guys. Um, Franz Wagner was one of the best rookies last year. Chumo Kiki, very solid. You still have Markel Fultz on Orlando the roster. Magic re-signed Mo Bamba. Oh, they re-signed Mo Bamba. I'm wrong. Sixteen hours ago. Wow, look at that. But yeah, no, it's the thing is. Um, at the end of the day, if I'm a GM, um, there's only there's there's one thing I can always credit Orlando Magic's players from if I'm trading with them is that they have youth, they're young, um, and they have a plethora of different traded talents. If I want a rebounding, somewhat rim protecting guy, Orlando has a couple of those and Wendell and Mobamba. If I want a shifty guard that can dish the ball out and occasionally stretch it, I have guys like that. I have Cole Anthony and stuff like that. So. Orlando is a home for untapped potential. And I feel like some players there, coaches and GMs should be looking at it and be like, you know what, that guy has something that could aid my team and we can negotiate. Yeah, some rebuilding teams who are who could be looking to um, offload some disgruntled <coughs> Brooklyn Nets. Um, yeah, they could be looking at these young players and be like, hey, this is... These guys look like they can be something. This is a good start to I'm a foundation. I'm looking to unload these veterans and get some youth and new blood in here. And maybe they could turn to something. We'll play some competitive basketball. Sure, might not gonna to uh it's not gonna contribute to wins right away, but it's building towards the future. Yeah, the thing about Orlando is compared to the other somewhat lottery teams, I think there's somewhat of a treasure chest of untapped potential. So I think someone should jump on some of their players in exchange for something big. I fully agree. And uh, speaking of uh, teams that could be looking to unload some stars, um, the Brooklyn Nets, once again, Kyrie Irving is really trying to get himself to Los Angeles. And and it's a perfect place for him because the only man that can control Kyrie is Mr. LeBron Raymond James. The king. And L.A., I still think they'll find a way to falter in L.A., there's just I feel like there's just gonna be a lot of egos crashing, and something that a very interesting nugget that I heard in the last few days was that the Spurs could be a key piece in a potential Kyrie for Westbrook swap, mm-hmm. because the Spurs would ideally take on Russ's contract and get more picks out of it, while Brooklyn takes on the younger talent, say like a Talon Horton Tucker or someone like that, and other first round picks, mm-hmm. and Kyrie apparently he said to the. Apparently said to maybe LeBron or maybe some other players within the Lakers, 
be like, screw your picks. We're not going to need them because we're going to be championship. We're going to win a championship next year. That's always tough. That's always tough. We have, as of late, a lot of teams have had that F draft picks, you know, F them kids kind of mentality. Shout out to the Rams GM. Rams, or even the Buccaneers too. Buccaneers offloaded a couple of things as well. So the thing about it is um, it's tough. Um, If I was the Lakers and the Nets, um, if I was the Lakers, I would have tried every bit to try to get Kyrie before he opted into his contract. Yeah, that's why I think they screwed up. Because the thing is, you would only be able to pay Kyrie $6 million if he didn't opt in, which is an absolute steal. If I get Kyrie Irving, no matter if he shows up half to work... It's $6 million for $6 million. one of the most skilled players in NBA history. Exactly. So with that $6 million, you guys could have loaded the team up with a bunch of role players that you needed. Of course, that didn't happen, and he opted in. So now you have to pay the $36 million Right, because you got to trade his contract, and um, obviously, if you ship Russell Westbrook, it's a great deal because his contract was absolutely fatty and was not worth all that. And money. you're gonna give up. You have to give up picks and players. Also, you could have got Kyrie players. for six mil and kept your got your um, poster boy Taylor Horton Tucker and some first round picks. Exactly. So the thing is, Rob Palinka, uh, I love what you did with Kobe, of course, being his agent. But you have some really, really big shoes right now. Um, if you're pursuing Kyrie, great. LeBron and Kyrie, we know what they can do together. Um, obviously, is it a little different now? Many years later, of course. What is it now? Eight, what six years later now since they they last you know won a championship together? 2016, right? Yes. Okay. It's been six years. A lot's changed. LeBron's a lot older. Kyrie, Kyrie maybe maybe a little bit or a little crazier. I might add. Who kn- yeah. He- Definitely. A so the thing crazy. is, it's a little different. But at the end of the day, we know their play styles coincide, and we know they can play basketball together. Great, Anthony Davis. I hope he's putting up the shots he can. I hope he looks healthy. I hope. I hope the LA medical staff in Staples Center or Crypto Arena, whatever you want to call it, because it'll always be still Staples Center. It'll Staples always one. be. It's the it's the house that Kobe built. Exactly. But I digress. So we know Anthony Davis is coming back. I hope he's healthy. I hope both legs work. I hope both shoulders work because Anthony Davis is a stellar athlete, and I enjoy every time he plays. He's a perennial power forward. He's really evolved the power forward game. Very generational talent. Yeah. So you have those three guys. Who else? You got, uh, like we said, we yeah, you got Talon Horton Tucker, and you got... Uh, you got Austin Reeves, who had a great game in the final game of the regular season when everything didn't matter. Yeah. So that's the thing. That's where the Lakers sit. Are they going to make a full push, like, in 2020 for veterans? Like, you know, obviously Rajon Rondo is going through it. But people like that to bring experience to the table because at the end of the day, experience does win more games than just pure raw talent, you know? So what are they going to do? Rob Palenka is in a hot seat right now because – you might land Kyrie, but if you do a three-team trade deal with the Spurs as well, you're going to lose guys like Horton Tucker. Yep, you're, and you're going to lose first-round picks. And even though Kyrie said, we're going to win championships, those picks still matter because they're young roster spots and cheap spots at that, point, at that too. Yeah, So, and every every team in the NBA who's won a championship always has at least one guy who is a rookie or sophomore because you need that just inexperienced but raw, hungry talent to take over some games. Jordan Poole was that guy. He was a young guy coming in with that Warriors squad and just doing his thing with a mixture of veteran talent. 
you got to have that perfect balance between vets and young guys because yeah. that helps you now and in the future. We see that with the Warriors, and we see that with the Boston Celtics. Exactly. You know, the mixture of Al Horford's old behind and the young bucks of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, even Peyton Pritchard and those guys. Yeah. So that's the thing is you need that spark of youngness. And would it be a win if – Let's say the Lakers do win the championship, but then afterwards just fall off for the next six, seven years. Is that a win? I mean, it doesn't really matter because you got the point of the, the point of the NBA and the goal. If you're a, a general manager of a team, is you want to win and you want to sustain winning. If the Lakers win a championship in 2023, because I think this is their last year to really contend, because Bronny James is trying to enter the draft in 2023, and wherever he goes, LeBron is going. So. Your window is now to win a championship with LeBron. He's not getting any younger. He's going to be 38 this December. So is maybe it's worth trying to get Kyrie. I don't even know if it's worth trying to get Kyrie because the Lakers, as bad as they were last year, they were dealing with a lot of injuries. And we know how deadly a healthy duo of LeBron and Anthony Davis can be. Honestly, I think they just got I think they should just ship Westbrook somewhere else and try to acquire some uh cheaper guys and guys who can actually shoot like i like if i was the lakers i would try to call up indiana and try to to get buddy healed and maybe another player out of it and i think the pacers would be willing to let buddy go i just think the the teams that lebron sees the most on are teams with shooters yeah we got um jr smith and kyle corver back in cleveland you got shane battier and ray allen and mike miller in miami exactly and those teams won championships why because lebron thrives when he drives and kicks drives fake kicks goes for layups it takes pressure off of him excuse me the thing about that lakers team without shooting is if I'm LeBron James, I'm a freight train of an athlete, right? I'm going to go in. I'm going to do my layups. I'll do my dunks. I'll do my crazy windmills, right? If my team on the court can't shoot, defenses are going to crash onto me. And they're going to they're gonna make me miss. They're going to make me not finish. They're going to just make things worse for me, my body, my health, my career, right? But when you have shooters, the defense is like, oh, crap. You know, that guy in the corner is shooting 45% from, from three in the corner, Oh, shoot, that guy can really shoot off the dribble, off passes and pick and pops, or running off-ball screens as I drive and kick. Wow. So that's the thing. You have to surround LeBron with shooters. Because at the end of the day, not many people agree with me on this, but LeBron's a pass-first guy. He has a point guard mentality. He does. He's That's why one of the best basketball IQs ever. And he just knows how to find the open man. Exactly. He's a pass-first guy. LeBron has said himself on numerous occasions how you know he takes inspiration from not only Michael but Magic. Because at the end of the day, at his position, in his body, it's perfect to pass. And I think Giannis is adding a little bit to that game as well. Oh, yeah. Of driving and kicking. Because it's that passing that also increases longevity a little bit. Because if I'm constantly going in, I'm constantly crashing, I'm constantly dunking, that takes a toll on me. Yeah, the wear and tear. But if I just simply drive in and dish out, you know, I can have a couple more games added to my career every time I do that, you know? But I digress. Yeah, yeah, just, I just don't agree with the Kyrie to LA thing. Obviously, he wants to go there, and Lakers fans want to see them go there. Hell, they want to see every superstar in L.A., all these jersey swaps. I'll tell you what, Ben. I would love to see it, but I don't think it's the right move. It would be fun for, 
maybe the year they're going to be together. It would be or fun. The forty games that Kyrie might play. On exactly. That exactly. Um, I think LA vaccine things are a little different, so I, we might get maybe fifty games out of them, sixty games. I don't know. I just think it's so weird. I don't. I don't think Kyrie's head is f- number one or even number two on basketball. I just think he thinks about so many other things, and I love the guy to death. I love what he does for civil rights. I love what he does for communities. I love when he just plays basketball, but I don't think basketball is his priority right now. Yeah, right and obviously, now, you know, I can't, I can't say anything like, "Oh, think about basketball." It's his life; he can do whatever he wants. He's already proven himself a plethora of different times. So I don't know, but is it a move that I would like to see? Of course, it would make fun basketball. It'd make the narrative interesting. But is it something right? I don't think so. Maybe right for this season, but for the future of the Lakers, I don't know if this. I don't think this is the right call to make. It's not the right call, but um, Kyrie, I hope everything works out. I hope you're happy. I hope you're doing it. LeBron, um, it would be cool to see you host up another trophy, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be it, This will probably be his toughest endeavor yet. Yeah, you got so NBA is just, it's just getting so much better. All the young times. You got, you got Luka still. You got Giannis. You got the Warriors. You got you got Jokic. Even teams coming out the East are looking so good. You got nasty. Boston. You got Miami. You got the Bucks. It's gonna be tough, LeBron. If you can get it done, man. I mean, you don't you don't have to prove anything to us, LeBron. No, no, he's got nothing to prove. You're he's literally not... you're literally gonna break the Kareem scoring record. What next season? Definitely next season. Yeah. So once once you pass Kareem, he's chilling. You're chilling. You're absolutely chilling. You don't have to do anything else. You can retire that day. He's already fine. He's a proven already a billionaire. He's already. Doing so many other things. LeBron actually has his own uh, his own tequila now. Shout out to that. Bron, I'm an absolute fan of yours. I've watched you ever since I was a little tyke watching you in Cleveland before you went to Miami. Back when they had those sick Cleveland jerseys. Yeah. And what you've done for not only basketball, but what you've done for young kids around the world. What you've done for uh, inspiring people, not only in basketball, but in different mediums. From the bottom of my heart, LeBron, and probably Ben's and a plethora of other fans, we love you, dog. We love what you've done for this game. And the day that you don't play for the NBA and you retire is a day that the world will stop because it's like a Tom Brady. I just can't picture a guy that's stellar, that apropos to just not be there anymore. We got so used to it. We we're actually got spoiled a little bit. We got 20 years of LeBron James playing at basically an MVP level every single season. Yeah. For sure. And when that day comes where he officially hangs up the sneakers, it's going to be a sad day. Not just for sports fans, but for people. Because everyone knows LeBron James. And listen, I have Michael as my GOAT, but that day when I turn on my television, LeBron, and you pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and the opposing team, wherever you break that record, calls timeout, and you wave to the fans, that's a day where I think everybody in the world should pass the torch to him. I think it's just... It's perfect. It's just this how it goes, you know? And he will end his career as the greatest of all time. And we all got to shut up and watch the king leave his throne whenever he does and respect the hell out of him. I want to meet this guy one day and be like, you know what? Thank you for making basketball fun. Listen, a wine and dine dinner with LeBron. Dream. LeBron, hit me up. Hit me up. We'll, we'll figure something out. Hit up. At, hit up. Uh, yeah, hit us up at some point. Love we'll, to meet we'll you, We'll figure brother. it out, LeBron. Yeah, now moving on to the other half of the Brooklyn Nets uh, duo, Kevin Durant. Now it looks like there are more places you can go. It's not just Miami. Yeah, now it's just Miami and uh, Phoenix. 
Looks like Toronto might be getting in the mix here. Like another dark horse team, similar to how they did for um, Kawhi a few years back. I just... Uh, Kyrie, obviously, we, we he's kind of locked on LA. Um, anywhere else would be somewhat of a surprise. But this is the one star here. Or at least, I mean, there's not many other crazy stars being up for trade block. But this is the one guy that I just really don't know where he's going to go. We have, maybe, not, maybe he doesn't get moved at all because the Nets won a historic package just the other day. They wanted Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and four firsts for KD. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so, the Timberwolves declined. Like, I mean, obviously, the Nets are in control of KD's legacy at this point. But KD has enough money in his bank account, Chase, TD Bank, Bank of America, whether it may be, to sit out if they keep him. Yeah, I mean, what he's just signed. What was the extension? Was it, was it a four-year deal, four or five-year deal? Four-year deal. Now he can do the Ben Simmons treatment. He got his buddy Ben Simmons there. He can learn that treatment where he could just sit there and just waste away until he gets traded. And the more days that you don't play for me, the more days, obviously, you know, I'd want to ship you because you're not you're impacting this team in this way. But I don't know if it was a gab to because if you notice when he first requested this trade, Ben, he wanted. Phoenix and Miami. And do you know the common denominator there for of course, Phoenix and Miami? Everyone knows that. The two one seeds in each conference. So the two one seeds in each conference. So it seemed a little weird that he wanted to do that. Obviously, he wants to go to a winning environment. But did he do that to you know, try to draw out the competition potentially in those conferences? Because I don't know what his plan is right now. And obviously, Katie's another guy that doesn't really have to prove himself. He's a stellar athlete, stellar scorer. Um, you know, some guy that I think he can win any 1v1 you put him up against. And he's just awesome, but I think he just has to put on his big boy pants a little bit here. I think, you know, you have this immense skill, this immense talent, but your head isn't in the right place, you know? You had Kyrie Irving, you had James Harden, and those two were beefing, you know, one not showing up to work, one grinding his butt off. You know, supposedly. And you couldn't get that figured out. The thing about you, KD, is you came to Brooklyn because you didn't feel welcomed in Golden State. Or, you know, you wanted to prove yourself or whatnot or collect a bag. I don't know. But when you came to Brooklyn, you did sign the adage of you had to lead this team. This was your team. It was. It Was Was it Kyrie's team? No. Nah, KD. Was it James Harden's team? No. Was it Nick Claxton's team? No. It was Kevin Durant's Brooklyn Nets team located in Brooklyn at Barclays Center at whatever address they want to go to. That's your team, KD. And you built it and you saw it fall apart. All in a matter of years, mind you. And all of this could have been avoided if you just spoke your mind. KD is not the guy to get in people's behind. He's never the confrontational type. That's how it's been since he was in Oklahoma City, ever since he was a warrior. And right now in Brooklyn, he's just never been that type to get up at anyone's grill and be vocal about anything. He always just keeps to himself. The only way he expresses himself, honestly, is when he is on Twitter. And that's a shame. That's a damn shame. Ben, I'm going to you know, propose a couple of teams all time, a couple of players all time. And there's, there's going to be one similarity they're all going to have. And I want you to mention that out loud, okay? Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, LeBron James... Um, let's think Draymond Green, um, Peyton Manning. What's the one thing about those guys that they all kind of have in common regarding this topic? 
They're all vocal. They're vocal. They they win. They expect winning from others, and their vocalness, if that's a word, helps them all. Win. Helps them. Helps right. their teammates drive up. I remember watching the Last Dance documentary. Obviously, an awesome documentary. And I remember Bill Weddington saying how Michael Jordan gets is a dictator. You know, he's kind of an evil guy, but he wanted to win for all of us. He said, "I want." us to win leaders people don't like leaders sometimes because they seem like tyrannical they seem like a dictator but at the end of the day they are driving you to become something that you didn't know you were capable of look you see you see the clips of lebron and tom brady yelling at their teammates expecting more from a couple years ago when tom brady was on the on the pats i went to a practice of theirs up in uh, boston and foxborough and I saw Tom Brady yelling at his receivers for dropping passes and getting in their behinds. And my mom to this day hates Tom Brady for that. And my mom, I'm like, Mom, why do you hate Tom Brady? He's like, he's just a not a nice man. But I'm like, that not that not nice man has seven rings. Listen, listen. You gotta be mean in the sport. Sports it's this is not no rec league. This is not like high school basketball or anything like that. These are grown men playing against each other. And they want to win. And especially now they're pampered grown men being paid millions and millions of dollars to just kind of leisure out their talents. The thing about being a leader is it's hard because you have to be hard. You have to stand up. You have to confront the people that are not playing as well and doing their things. But also a good leader knows when to back down and knows when to let other people flourish. A good leader knows when to say the right things at the right times and to the right people. That's what Katie lacks, that vocal leadership. He, You know why he was perfect in Golden State? Because Steph was, was the, the vocal, leader. Draymond. Draymond was the, leader. was the local leader. Those guys Steve knew. Steve Kerr was the vocal leader. They knew what to say at the, at the good time and the right time and how to say it, right? At all, watching him at Golden State, did you see him really get in anybody's butt once? No, it's all, it's all Draymond and Steph and Steve Kerr. Exactly. Exactly. That's why that team has won so many championships. That's why they've dominated. That's why they're this decade's dynasty. Well, not this decade, prior decade. But maybe they might win more. I would love to see them win Who more. Who knows? 15-year dynasty. We'll, let's see how it goes. That's the thing. That's why they're that, because they're vocal. They know what to say. Michael Jordan, he won six rings. What was he labeled? A dictator. A tyrant. But you saw him getting in his teammates, making them better. KD lacks that. And he built a house of cards in Brooklyn and watched it fall apart before his eyes. And all he did was go to Twitter and yell or rant to nonsensical fans who have no relevance on his his being whatsoever. I find that very interesting. Yeah, another example of a vocal leader in basketball, this Kevin Garnett, you know, people say he's a real dick. And, you know, some maybe maybe I could see that. I mean, he made Glenn Davis big baby. He always he made his teammates cry at practice. But you know what? Because he spent, I think, 10 or 11 losing seasons in Minnesota, which is probably the, probably the worst franchise in the whole NBA. And he forced his way to Boston, and he was that vocal leader for the team. He made his teammates cry for a reason because he wanted to win so badly. And what happened? That Celtics team... 66 wins. He was the defensive player of the year. He was the best player on that team. Yeah. 
and they rode that that momentum all the way to a championship. And that's a different animal. The other night, I watched the movie Interstellar. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie. Of course, then. You know the scene with Matt Damon and how you know they went to his planet, Miller's planet, yep. man's planet, and they deprived him of life, and he didn't know if he was going to die or not. That feeling is similar to what KG felt. That's why he was so tyrannical in Boston because he was he wasted many many years of his prime in that cold cold state known as Minnesota, and when he came to Boston. He saw the light at the end of the tunnel. He saw opportunity. Now, many people are going to argue, oh, of course, if you stack a team with Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo, Kendrick Perkins, all those people, whatever, you're bound to win something, right? That team would not win in 08 or even go to the finals in 09 or 010 or whatever without Kevin Garnett. That Celtics team, the only reason why they didn't go to the finals in 09 is because KG was hurt. Kevin Garnett and we we obviously know Paul Pierce was the Celtic was the longest tenured Celtic at that point. Kevin Garnett was the heart and soul of that Celtics team. Paul Pierce is similar to what Kevin Durant is now. Obviously not talent wise or legacy, but to the aspect of I just play basketball and I just go home. It's bigger than basketball. This is your livelihood, and you can improve the people around you. But I think Kevin Durant's a little bit selfish in that regard. He's very selfish. Exactly, but wherever he goes, I hope something clicks in him, and I hope he's not carried to another ring. I would listen as much as I, I have so much disdain for Kevin Durant ever since 2019 when he spurned my New York Knicks for my crosstown rivals. I would I would still love to see him win a ring with him being the guy. You know, in 2017, 2018, he was Finals MVP, whatever. But listen. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steve Kerr, all on your team. You're bound to win a title against two Cavaliers teams that were on the decline and were dealing with a lot of other issues within the organization and the players. I would want to see KD go to a team and lead that team to a chip. Similar to what Kawhi did with Toronto. And maybe maybe he does go to Toronto after all. They do have a package they could put together for him. But... Kevin Durant, I think just to secure his legacy and even gain the respect of so many fans, he needs to be that guy and be vocal and win a championship on his own. Now, obviously, he can't. He's got to have a little bit of help, but you gotta. He has to be the guy. He has to be the guy on that team. He yeah. can't just ride Steph's coattails. Yeah, like and he, if I have a recommendation for you, Kevin Durant, if you ever listen to this at all, I, of course I don't know. Turn off your phone. I think he's too focused on what people say about him, and he's not as focused as what he's capable of. Honestly, he's gotta he's gotta detox a little bit from the internet. Yeah, because he's honestly, I'm surprised his thumbs aren't sore from all this tweeting. It's crazy. He's been doing that ever since he came into a the league. A grown man in the NBA had burner accounts. Just let that sink in for a little bit. How childish is this? We're not at Texas anymore, KD. We're on our third team now. Right? OKC, Warriors, yep. Brooklyn. And this is your 14th year in the league. Yeah, you're a 10 year vet. 15th you're a grown league. man with grown man abilities. And you have burner accounts. It's a shame. Katie, I love your talent. You're so you're just a, such a perennial talent, and you're such a fun to watch. I've seen you live. I've seen you on television in Buffalo Wild Wings in the confines of my own room. And every day, night in and night out, you play ball. 
But that's all you do. And that's not going to win you anything. You got a ball and you got to be vocal. You got to lead. You got to get involved. That's what a team sport is. Exactly. That's why it's called basketball, not just Kevin Durant ball. Yeah, moving on to a sport that isn't team-oriented. I'm going to talk a little bit about Wimbledon a little bit. Um, right now, we're actually in the finals of Wimbledon. It moved by really fast. And Mr. Rafa Nadal, he's another guy who you can you can put him in the conversation of GOAT of all sports. He's got a record of 22 Grand Slams, which is insane. It's, it's two more than um, Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer have. They both have 20. But right now, he's not going to be playing in that final game because he tore his, he had an abdominal tear and his uh, he had an abdominal tear um, after his uh, quarterfinal win. So now we're gonna have uh, Nick Kyrgios from Greece play Novak Djokovic, who's my favorite player of all time personally, and we're gonna see if Novak can win his twenty first and. I, I would love for Novak to pass Rafa because personally, personally I can't stand the guy. I just think he's a very stuck-up guy. Every sport got those. Every sport has those guys. It's, yeah, Nothing really personal. It's just my opinion on him. But right now, it looks... I mean, Rafa's... Rafa's... Not Rafa. Um, Nadal... Nadal. Blech, Djokovic. These are quite the names. Don't worry about it. Yeah, a lot of foreign guys. Yeah, Djokovic, uh, he's uh, the the one seed right now. He's playing the 10 seed. Now, should be easy, but the thing is with tennis, a lot of things can change. It's a one man it's a one man sport. You're not going to have te- you're not going to have other guys to help you out. It's just going to be you, yourself, and you. That's the thing about solo sports, tennis, boxing, golf. Um, seeding means way less because at the end of the day, it's who shows up. Yeah, if you have that, um, if you have that fire and desire in you to win, and if you show up prepared, you're gonna win. Because you just have to. In these sports, it's about it's very mental. You gotta outsmart your opponent. Yeah, um, matchups like this remind me a lot of um, Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz. Do you recall that fight back in the day, Ben? I think I do. Yeah. Madison Square Garden. Anthony Joshua was a clear favorite. He was twenty-two and zero, all by knockout. And he had an opponent lined up, but the opponent got injured, and Andy Ruiz had to be a quick replacement. Andy Ruiz was like 300 pounds. He was a very fat Mexican fighter. He had no promise. Some books or magazines even had him unranked. And everybody thought Anthony Joshua was going to walk right through him. What happened in round three was probably one of the best rounds I've ever seen live. Andy Ruiz knocked TKO, but knocked out Anthony Joshua and just showed some grit and grind and just absolutely beat him into a pulp. And it's moments like that in sports that show, at the end of the day, it's who's the stronger man in the arena. You know? Whoever shows up. We can label you as the greatest player of all time, the greatest fighter, the greatest this, the greatest that. But if you don't show up, all those titles are null and void. It doesn't matter. When you attach titles to players, you have to live up to that. Ben, if I address you as the greatest shooter of all time, I expect you to shoot some threes. Exactly. If I if I label you as the greatest dunker of all time, I want you to slam it down. And if you start doing less and less of that, those titles get revoked. Things like that happen. Now, granted, that's a lot of pressure. LeBron, we he has so many nicknames and titles and things like that. He has pressure on him. But he delivers day in, day out. Steph Curry delivers day in, day out. Tom Brady 
delivers day to day. Giannis, Giannis. Look, looking to be one of the greatest athletes ever, delivers day in day out. It's simple. So it's always tough. So seeing this Wimbledon matchup coming up, uh, it's going to be very interesting because tennis has their upsets. You know, a lot of upsets. And it's a little bit of a throwback here. Back in 2015, the Australian Open, uh, Novak Djokovic, who was the number one seed. Played in the final against um, a Swiss man by the name of Stan Wawrinka, who was the eight seed at the time. Now this man, now at the, at the time, Djokovic was looking to overtake Nadal for the most Grand Slams in history, and everyone thought it was going to be a cakewalk. You know, Djokovic, number one seed, has still a younger legs than he does now, and Wawrinka, eight seed, should might be a pushover, but Wawrinka. He beat him in four sets. Not it wasn't even a five. It wasn't even a five set. He beat him in four, and that was one of the more memorable, um, one of the more memorable um, journeys I've seen to a Grand Slam in a while. Because just before that, he beat the number two seed Roger Federer in the quarterfinal. So that's someone who's right now he's not even in the tournament. That's someone who didn't qualify being two of the greatest tennis players to ever live. And that's just that's just not anything about tennis. That's just as you said before about any sport, boxing, golf, any of these solo sports, you got to have the will in you to win. Because you have the pressure that a team has. But like the thing about team sports, right? Let's say I say the New York Knicks, you know, they got to win this game. They got to step up, right? Uh, NBA roster has 15 guys, not 13 guys, right? Yeah, so 12 guys who play day and day out. The, the pressure is divvied up somewhat evenly to the players that need it, right? But if I say Ben has to win this fight, all the pressure is on you, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. It's tough in solo sports, but those sports prove to show the best chronicles and stories and epics and ballads because it just shows one man, one woman, or somewhere in between, of course, just showing up to work and absolutely just doing it justice and figuring it out and digging deep. It's just heroic. It's awesome to see in all sports. Yeah. So I'm I'm very excited to see this match. And all best luck to both players, but I hope my boy Novak wins it all. I think Novak got it. I think, Novak. I think he's got it in the bag. Gosh, oh. One yeah, one more one more thing. So in the world of college sports, USC and UCLA are looking to move from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten, and that is going to be very. It's going to bring some very entertaining games because you know the Big Ten, especially in football, they got powerhouses. They got um Michigan, they got Ohio State, they got Penn State. So it's going to bring a lot of competition. Rutgers and football maybe not best for um Rutgers uh, maybe not the best for football. Oh, I just want to mention because obviously we're from NJ. Shout out to shout out to Rutgers. Yeah. Yeah. No. So how do you think that's going to affect just college sports in general? Well, um, if it pans out, I feel like we're going to see a surge of movement amongst conferences. Yep. Um, because I don't want to say it was taboo before their their try their move, but everybody was kind of just somewhat content of where they were, right? So that's the thing. Now, regarding those two great institutions of UCLA and USC, this is going to bring the dog out of them, you know? Um, USC, yeah, great. But I'm talking from the aspect of UCLA. 
UCLA. Not a, not a complete, not a great um, football. School. Not a not, great football not school. That, not the powerhouse. But house. they are a legend in athletics in general. It's Los Angeles. It's Los Angeles. So that's the thing um, for both things. When it comes to football, they're gonna bring the dog out of those teams. I think at first they're gonna get absolutely mollywopped. I think they're gonna just get a rude awakening for people like Michigan and Penn State and oh, yeah. Ohio State. But they're gonna get used to it. And I think for their other sports, their other sports might flourish as well. I think um, I think USC basketball in particular is going to flourish because USC has been a very solid team, especially the last few years in basketball with the Mobley brothers. No, exactly, yeah. And UCLA, obviously, very good in basketball. Yeah, I think and they were, you know, what, were they a Final Four team? The Final Four or Elite Eight team? Elite Eight, I think. Final and Four of the year before. They always have those one or two stars like the Johnny Sang and those guys that are great. And with the competition of, you know, Penn State, I think it's Purdue, right? Wow, too. Rutgers, there's going to be a couple of opponents they're going to run into that are really going to bring the dog out of them. But it's also going to help their record a little bit in development, too, because they're coming from Pac-12, correct? Yes. So their schedule somewhat was a little bit tough in some regards. So I think the Big Ten for all their sports, even baseball, too, it's going to be great. I think this move is great for both schools, athletically. And it's going to prove very beneficial. And I think if it does work, everything goes great. I think we're going to see a lot of other schools in the near future. There's going to be a lot of movement. I know. Uh, I think uh, San Diego, San Diego, and Fresno State might be the next ones to move. Because yeah. right, and or even Oregon. Because right now, um, probably, probably the most um, notable teams in the Pac-12: Oregon, Arizona, um, even uh, Utah. Utah is a very solid football team. Now, the one discrepancy I do see is travel. All the Big Ten schools are located Midwest, Midwest to, to the East. East Coast. There is a huge gap. And all between. these guys, it's called Pac-12 for reason, Pacific 12. All these guys are on the West Coast. Exactly. So that's the thing. It's going to be – it's it's tough. Like, your nearest opponent is Nebraska. Like For, use, for California teams, that's a whole half of a country. Away. That's a couple hundred to a thousand miles. That's the thing. That's a tough call. So, it's what's the travel going to do to these athletes? Um, and it also puts some of these athletes out of their element. If I play at UCLA, is it ever cold at UCLA? No, it's always... It's beautiful. It's always 85 and something. I could go to the beach in December if I wanted to. But when football comes around and they got to go to Michigan... It's gonna be a little, a little cold up there. It's, be, it's a little cold up there in Ann Arbor. Yo tengo frío. It's gonna be a little cold. That's the thing about this is it's gonna really put UCLA in a little bit of a tough spot. But it also will also put these other teams in a different ball game too. A lot of these teams are gonna play in a hot situation, which a lot of them don't really get to see too much of that. No. So I think it'll be a very interesting move, but. If it does work, and we do see a lot of transfers in the near future, a lot of movement, a lot of these conferences that have names like Pac-12, Beach Pacific, you know, those names are going to be meaningless because we're going to see so much diversity in these conferences. Yeah, I mean, the two most specific teams are are moving to the, to a Midwest and East Conference. Yeah, so we're going to see a lot of movement, and we're going to look at these conferences, and they're going to just look nationwide. Which is ideally the goal, right? Mm-hmm. In all of sports, is to see a variety of different mediums, a variety of different environments, a variety of different, you know, you know, arenas. So, 
I think it could work. I think it's great. It's just it's gonna take some getting used to because they gotta travel a lot. That you know, traveling isn't cheap. And you know, if UCLA for, versus Rutgers, you're going from New Jersey, Jersey to, to LA. LA. That's a that's a three hour time difference in itself. Exactly. And so, weather is a factor. Weather is a big factor, especially in, you know into the winter and stuff like that. It gets a little colder. So it's going to be interesting, but if it does work and does pan out, we're going to see a lot of diverse conferences in the next 20 years. Yeah, I mean, the move isn't scheduled until 2024, which brings me to my next point. Um, Caleb Williams obviously um, took over for Spencer Rattler for Oklahoma last, last season as a freshman. He's now the starting quarterback of the USC Trojans, and this is going to be a real test for him to see if he can stack up with the big boys. Because the Big Ten is arguably the mo- probably the most competitive conference in all of football. And we're going to have to see how he does against these stacked defenses. And he's scheduled to be in the 2024 draft. That's the earliest he can declare. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be his first season playing in the Big Ten. So with all the hype around him, we have to see if he can continue to play as well as he did last season against the big boys in Michigan and Ohio State and them. And the thing about coming from Oklahoma to U- USC, it's a downgrade. It's a downgrade. You're yep. coming from you're being you're, you're you're a sooner. Like the thing about playing for an institution like that is every position there is good. Like there's no holes. It's just like who has like better good players, you know? But the thing about making the move to USC, you're going to have worse guys. So you have to step up in general. Yeah, now USC, I'm not I mean not not going to downplay USC's talent. They've had some They've had some good receivers. Drake London was just the 8th overall pick at this past season and Elijah Vera Tucker was just the 14th pick as a guard the season before that. And I think if I'm not mistaken, they they just got a maybe I'm wrong here. I think they got a a very good transfer receiver. Um, what's his name? Yeah, Jordan Addison. He's one of the best receivers. He's probably the second best receiver in this class. He was per- he was previously playing for Pitt. Mm-hmm. So now we got to see how this connection is going to be with Caleb Williams because the way Caleb plays is going to affect his draft stock too. Yeah, and that's always tough when you're trying to sell yourself. Um, ideally, in all sports, you make a lot of selfless decisions. Because you just want to look more appetizing for the person drafting you. And that can cause a lot of, you know, chemistry issues. You know, if I always thrive throwing to a tight end and I just look good when I come out the pocket and just do a little shovel pass there. But I have a disgruntled wide receiver being like, yo, listen, like, I'm good too. Throw me the ball. But he's always in double coverage. I don't want to look like the bad guy overthrowing him, throwing him short. And we've seen that in the NFL numerous times. Saw that with T.O. in Philly. We saw that Randy Moss in his final years in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's it especially it's tough in college because you're trying to just be a pro. You know, a lot of these guys, this is their dream. They're not guaranteed. Only what three percent, less than three percent of guys. Who come out of yeah. college, who play college ball, move on to the pros. Yeah, and the thing about the NFL, obviously, you know, there's a lot more positions involved, but still, like the quarterback position is arguably the, the toughest position to it's the most pre It is, and it's the most premium and the most valued, and it's what gets you to win games. Exactly, exactly, and it's incredibly tough. Um, I wish him the best, of course, because I love the way he plays. Um, that game against Texas was. I don't know if you watched that game. Yeah. That was. A beautiful game to watch. Yeah, I just love the way he plays, his presence around his demeanor. Um, 
And he just got the swagger to bring to the field. He does. Hopefully he can break the trend of really crappy USC quarterbacks. Because I really thing. do love his play. That's the thing. And I hope he breaks that, you know, somewhat of a burgundy curse. But it's tough. And that move is really going to show his talents or not. Yeah. And, the yeah, the move isn't scheduled until 2024. But I'm excited to see what this means for the rest of college sports in general, not just football, basketball, baseball, whatever. Yeah, I think those other sports are going to thrive. They're I think they will. Football is just going to be a little difficult. It's going to be tough, for sure. Yeah. All right, so I think that's that's all we got for now. Um, thank you all for listening in. It truly means a lot. Once again, I'm Ben Kuchipudi. And I'm TZ Graham, baby. And we're out. Peace out.